Our new series this morning is starting in Exodus 18. And here is an excerpt from the chapter. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, I, too, want to spend a moment just celebrating uh, a little of what we saw God doing on Easter last week. It was, it was pretty incredible. Uh, every staff meeting, we always start with what we like to call God's stories, just thanking God for his clear signs of just, just moving in and through the church. And to just give you some highlights uh, from Easter, we had 440 uh, it, present, in-person attending on Easter. It's not about numbers, but it just gives you some perspective. 95 kids. Can we actually thank the kids' teams? It's like, that's a lot of babies. It's pretty fun. Hey, and, 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 and best of all, in my, in my strong opinion, uh, 12 faith decisions made for Christ. 
six of which were first-time decisions, five or six first time, and then the rest coming back to faith. And then there were more people who marked, uh, I'm curious. Uh, if that's you, we're so glad you're back. Uh, really, that's what everything's about, what we make of Jesus following him. And doing that as a community is our great joy as, as a church. And uh, what was fun is one of the team members who was back there behind the gift table said, we actually ended up having the perfect number of gift bags. So we gave out exact number and uh, that's, that's really, really, really fun. Uh, next year, if God chooses to continue to move in the ways that he has been growing the church, uh, we might have to go to two gatherings, but we're not going to think about that for a little bit. <laughs> Let's catch our breath first. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into our text. Father, thank you so much that it is like we said last week, that uh, Easter is not just one Sunday to celebrate. But the resurrection is something we can celebrate and will celebrate into eternity. Thank you so much for sending your son to this world to die on the cross for our sins. And that in him, because he rose again on the third day, we too can have eternal life with you. Father, I want to pray especially for those who made faith decisions on Easter. And not just at current, but the, but the world over. Lord, would you help them uh, put down... Uh, long and strong, deep roots in you. They get connected in, in church bodies like here, here at Current. And, and Father, would we as a church help, help them, as we all need to help each other, uh, point one another to Jesus. And Father, as we turn now to your word and consider uh, leadership, leading well, would you, would you please give us your spirit and help us to learn to lead as, as you would have us lead. It's in Christ's name we would pray. Amen. All right, so we're starting a new series today we're calling, we're calling Lead. Uh, we all lead. We're, we all lead in, in some form or fashion, uh, whether it's in teams in the, in the, in the office or, you know, with, with kids at home or activities in the community, uh, whether it's here in the context of, of the church, we all lead. We all lead relationally. Uh, people turn to us for direction, for, for care, sometimes for vision. And if, as you're thinking about this, you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm leading anywhere right now in my life. First of all, you probably are. In fact, I'm, I'm going to get, yeah, you are. But let's say you can't really put your mind around like, oh, where exactly I'm leading. Just, just give it some time because you will inevitably be, be leading other people. So it's incredibly important that we learn to lead well for our own sake, but also for the sake of, of those we lead. So what does it mean to lead well, and how do we go about leading well? That's, that's really what this new teaching series is all about. The Bible is chock full of wisdom for, for leading well, and it's actually been one of my, uh, one of my uh, joys over the last couple, like, like few decades, where it's, our culture has kind of developed this fascination, perhaps you could say even obsession with leadership, wouldn't you say? There's all these books on leadership. There's all these conferences on leadership. Like leadership's the, you know, the hot, hot topic. And uh, it's, it's always been uh, fun for me as, a, as an observer because so many of these leadership gurus will at some point say, here's the secret to leading well. You just got to do this and this. And, and really, so many of those secrets really are actually stem originally from the scriptures. There's, there's so much wisdom here. For, for leading well that we can, we can glean. Timeless, effective principles for leading well, some of which might be surprising to you, some of which might seem on the surface counterintuitive, but incredibly helpful stuff. 
Uh, today, in particular, we're going to be looking at this ancient text uh, from the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. And we're going to look at how we can take our leadership to the next level. Yeah, that's kind of a cheesy way to put it. How you can level up in your leadership. There, there's a conference title. Um, because what we see here actually is a story of a really, really good leader. Get better. Like we see, a, we see Moses who already by this point has established himself. God has established him as a, as a very capable, skillful leader. And yet he listens to his father-in-law and becomes an even better leader. And so therefore we have some incredibly practical principles for getting better as leaders ourselves. So to, for, for, for my outline, I'm going to unashamedly steal from Jim Collins. You know the guy who wrote From Good to Great for Companies? Moving from good to great leadership. All right, there you go. Leaning in to the cheese. But five practical principles for moving from, from good to great leaders that we see from this text. Number one, great leaders are teachable. Okay? So again, we're in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, which recounts the exodus of God's people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and ultimately through the promised land. And by this point in chapter 18, God has already very miraculously done a lot of this through Moses and his leadership. So helping Moses, you know, with the, with the plagues, you know, convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, helping Moses part the Red Sea so they can get through, helping Moses uh, feed the people and get them water in the middle of the desert, feeding and, and giving to drink uh, over a million people. I mean, it's pretty incredible what God has already done through Moses by Mo, uh, Exodus chapter 18. And it's worth noting that for his part, Moses was no slouch when it came to his leadership, like what he brought to the table. Of course, it's God doing all this through him, but Moses was an incredible leader. He had been trained as a, as a prince under Pharaoh, some of the best leadership experience that he could have gotten, the training. And then he had been out there with these Israelites who, let's just say, if you, if you know the scriptures, you know this is true, these people were not easy to lead. They were known as being, quote, stiff-necked, and yet Moses was just super patient, gracious with them, meeting needs you know, explaining things to them, going before them. And God was just doing some incredible things, so much so that news was spreading. And I don't know about you, but I, I think that, you know, for many people in Moses' situation, it could have been very easy for them to let all this go to their heads. Because what we see in verse 1 is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, all the way out in this place called Midian in, in the wilderness, which is northwestern Arabia, so a good ways away from where, where Egypt uh, is, it says, had heard everything God had done for Moses. Jethro had heard everything that God had done through Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Remember, this is, this is, these were ancient, ancient times. We're talking 1,500 years before Christ. Uh, long before telephone lines, let alone social media. I mean, you know, it's like for news to spread back then was, was nuts. And yet everybody knew within a good geographical distance what God had been doing through the greatness of Moses' leadership. Uh, that would easily go to people's, people's heads. And yet, this is a chapter of Moses who's gone viral with his leadership capabilities humbly learning from his father-in-law how to get better in his leadership. 
let's just give some perspective for, for a moment on that. Like, how many of you married guys would go to your father-in-law for advice? Like, right? Just to begin with, let alone go to your father-in-law for advice in an area that you are already an expert in. Like, how many, right? I mean, it just goes to show you, Moses was teachable. Great leaders are teachable. Uh, he not only listened to his, his father-in-law, he, he listened to his father-in-law when things were going well, and he also had the ability to listen to his father-in-law when his father-in-law wasn't just saying, hey, you're doing an awesome job. Because at one point, he calls him out in verse 17. After saying he's delighted in the things that he's heard, verse 9, verse 17, he says, what you are doing, though, Moses, is not good. How are you at taking advice of that nature? And people say what you're doing is not good. Moses was teachable. He could listen to his father-in-law. He can listen when things were going really well. And he could listen to things that were constructive in their feedback. Is this, is this tracking? Moses was able, great leaders are teachable. Are, are you teachable? Uh, one of my mentors and uh, actually one of our uh, board members, our only external board member here at Current, a guy named Ben Pilgrim. He's preached here before up He's uh, the lead pastor up at Epic in, in the city. Uh, he asks it this way, who's at your wisdom table? He likes to ask, who's at your wisdom table? Uh, if you look at verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done. Who do you let into your life who can actually speak into it? Who do you let into your life that will call you out when you have cilantro in your teeth? You know what I'm saying? Who do you let in? Who are your Jethro's, in other words? And if you don't readily in your mind have people that you go, like, those are my Jethro's, those are people sitting at my wisdom, that's a little bit of a red flag. I mean, just think of it this way. Could you imagine if Moses had been in this situation where he's seeing God do all these incredible things? He has gone viral. His, his, the, the, the greatness of his leadership is just all out there. People know, they're talking about Moses. Could you imagine if Moses didn't have people in his life who were checking his pride? Could you imagine if Moses didn't have people in his life who weren't giving him constructive feedback? And yet, I'm describing a lot of Silicon Valley leaders, wouldn't you say? Great leaders are teachable. I would just say, if you're here today and you can't readily think of a few, let alone a table of jet throws at your wisdom table, I would say that's your next step. Get some Jethro's around your table, people that you can let, let them know about everything. And they won't just say they're there and add a girl, add a boy. They will actually lovingly also push you to be better and, and all the rest of it. So number one, great leaders are teachable. Number two, great leaders are mindful of their limits and get ahead of burnout. Great leaders are mindful of their limits and get ahead of burnout. What was Jethro calling out as not good? Well, Moses every day was setting up court and hearing all the people's cases. Uh, and we're told in verse 13 that this was all day, every day, from morning till evening. People would, quote, stand around him. That phrase, stand around him, is the ancient Hebrew for saying that, you know, he was, they were doing litigation. He was, he, was, he was judging. Could you imagine how emotionally, physically, mentally taxing this must have been for Moses? Now, could you also imagine how easily someone like a Moses would get themselves into a situation where they're doing these very things? I mean, that's almost par for the course, wouldn't you say? 
Jethro straight out calls what Moses is doing as not good. Verse 18 says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. My same uh, mentor, Ben Pilgrim, sent me a text right after Easter. And what you need to, uh, to understand here is uh, pastors love to text one another after Easter because it's just this understanding in the church world, staff, you know, as Cindy was highlighting before, it's like Easter is simultaneously amazing, exciting, it's like incredible, while also really exhausting. Like you just make a big push into it. And so a lot of pastors are texting each other afterwards and before like, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Like, how did things go? And I had a bunch of my buddies, we were all just text, uh, texting back and forth. Um, ben, he texted me. He, first part of his text was, hey, how did things go? And then he said, and tell me what you're doing to recover. That was different. And the funny part about this story is I just kind of responded just kind of real quickly. I was just tired. I was just like, oh, yeah, it's fun. Here's just something God did and sent. He said, okay, great. And what are you doing to recover? Great leaders understand they have limits and get ahead of burnout. I'll, I'll confess, I don't feel like I've been doing an awesome job at this. Now, part of this has to do with, you know, uncontrollable factors in, in our lives. I mean, doing a startup, a church startup, no, no, no less, is... You know, it's just a season where you just got to make a lot of pushes. And we kind of, Cindy and I jumped into that knowing that. I mean, people were ahead of us were telling us, okay, it's going to be a season of a lot of pushes. So that's been the case. And then there's this thing that, called the pandemic that hit. So it's like, all right, you got to, you know, roll up our sleeves and, 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 and serve and lead through that. Okay. But I've been so grateful that uh, about a year ago or so, even a little before that, uh, our elder board came to Cindy and me, as I've mentioned in the past, if you've been here for it. Uh, to say, hey, you know, you guys need to take a sabbatical. And uh, in other words, they were being a bit of Jethro to us. And I'm really grateful for that because I remember in one board meeting, I, I said to them, I said, I said, man, I've always, I've always believed in the concept of sabbatical, especially for pastors for all these reasons. But I'm now at the place where, man, I'm like feeling, I really, humanly speaking, need one. And I don't want to get to the place where it's like, then you wear yourself. Are you tracking Great leaders are, understand their limits and get ahead of burnout. Uh, so around that same time, I started asking all these leaders out there, pastor friends, like what they did for sabbatical, just trying to learn from them and asking them for advice. I was just asking dozens of pastors. Anytime I was hanging out with a pastor, I was asking, what do you do for sabbatical? And uh, at, at one point, I eventually um, asked my dad. We had breakfast, it was just planned, so we got together. I figured, oh, I'll ask him. I bet my dad had been a pastor for 40 years. So, And you know, you know what he said, and I'll never forget this, he said, he said, David, it sounds like you've asked enough people about sabbatical. You, I've, you, you probably got that worked out, okay? I don't have anything to add to that. But what I will say is when you get back from sabbatical, be sure to build into your rhythm going forward more rest so that you're not in the same place going into the next sabbatical. And I found that equal parts encouraging and challenging. Uh, great leaders understand that they, they have limits and you and I, we're finite people. We have definite limits. And you and I can push, push, push on those limits. But eventually those limits will give. You will give. And Jethro's advice to Moses, my dad's advice to me, is great leaders get ahead of burnout. You know, it's the classic example of the stewardess who you know, says when there's an event of emergency and the oxygen masks drop, like put, put the mask on you first parents before you put it on the kids 
great leaders get ahead of burnout. They're, they're mindful of their limits. There's a number of things we can talk about practically to like give this some thought. Uh, but just the low-hanging fruit is be sure to practice Sabbath. Okay, This is a, one of the Ten Commandments that God gives you and me. That one of seven days is Sabbath. Holy Lord, when we should just rest and give, give to the Lord. And can I just say real quickly, pastorally, to, to some of you here who are, say, like med students, and there's a few of you, or you are, you are in the midst of, like, right now starting a company, or you are parents of, like, newborn newborns where you're not sleeping, like, at all. Uh, you know, some of you, you're studying, you're burning the midnight oil for exams. You, you guys are in a special stage of your, like, you're in a special season. It's, don't hear this and be like, oh, I feel guilty because I can't, like, understand that you're just in a crazy season, but be mindful in that season to, especially if you can, keep Sabbath, and then once you get out of that crazy season to establish healthier rhythms, there's a, a friend in the church, uh, dad of four, uh, has a day job and is starting his own company right now. I'm just like, that just makes me tired, you know, thinking about it. And yet, it's really incredible. From the beginning, he's done his best to keep the weekends he calls sacred. And I'm like, man, that is really wise. Now, does he do it perfectly? No, but he's, he's shooting for that. And that's, that's incredibly wise. Uh, and what, what great leaders are thinking about as far as Jethro is concerned. Great leaders are mindful of their limits and get ahead of burnout. One more quick pastoral sidebar before we move on to the next thought. I, I do tend to think that right now our culture is doing a little bit of an overcorrection in some, in some ways here. Uh, our culture tends to be very self-helpy. I mean, you know, unless you're getting different news feeds than I am. Like we tend to be very self-helpy. And a lot of that's really good. Like a lot of people are working, they're overworking, and they need they need rest, you need rest, I need rest. That's all good. But I almost feel like sometimes there's an overcorrection where some people who aren't bearing the weight of like a Moses or, you know what I'm saying, might think they're bearing the weight of a Moses and be like, oh, I just need to rest. And I'm not going to try to speak it. Don't be the person who's like, yeah, my life's so tired. And every friend is like, all right, okay. You know, here's what I'd say. If you're, it's a good question to be like, is that me? Like, how, am I overcorrecting? Am I not? The best way to figure that out is go back to point one. And ha- ask your Jethros. Ask the people around your wisdom table. Hey, do I like? What do you think of my schedule? Is it sustainable? Like, am I going to wear myself out at this pace? And they might say, "Tell me more about your schedule." No, I think you're good. Like, hey, you know, it's a lot, but keep at it. Or, or they might say, "Oh my goodness, you need to. You're going to burn out like in a in a little bit." Is this making sense? So, okay, all right. So, number two, uh, great leaders are, are mindful of, of burnout. Get get ahead of it, understanding their limits. Number three. Great leaders empower others to lead. Great leaders empower others to lead. Jethro calls out what Moses is doing as not good. And what is his advice? Moses, stop being the sole judge, man. It's like divvy this up, delegate it out. He says more specifically in verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Then he goes on to say, and you let them handle the more common cases, and then on the more complex issues that they might have trouble with, have them bring those to you. And then he says in verse 23, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And I think that phrase is so important. They will share it with you. Great leaders understand that they don't have to just be the gal or the guy, but they can share the leadership with others. 
Uh, one of the things about leading well is oftentimes what's getting in the way of us leading well, the bottleneck for us leading well, is ourselves. It's like our need to be the one who, who control things, or, or maybe it's our ego, or maybe it's both of those things. But sharing leadership not only expands your energy, gives you more health, healthy rhythms into your life, it also allows for other people to cultivate their own gifts and develop as people and, and leaders. Um, the classic example of this, in my mind, is assigning kids chores. When we first assigned our kids chores, you better believe it took way more work on our part for them to do the chore, like washing the dishes. You know what I'm saying? And even now, as they're a little bit older, it's like it'd probably still be easier for us, us to go ahead, Cindy and me, to wash the dishes than to go through everything to get them to, you know what I'm saying? But now they're like 50% capacity. It's like we're getting there, you know? Um, but the whole point there is not just so that they do it and I don't have to do the dishes anymore, right? The whole point is for them to also learn responsibility. And it was funny, the other night, one of my kids was all, but daddy, I gotta, I gotta do homework. I said, that was, well, well, yeah, it's a good, good try there. <laughs> if you're going to try to argue, that's a good way to do it. And I'm like, hey, but other responsibilities don't go away with others. Like, hey, we just got to manage our time, start a little. Please understand, sometimes I will do the dishes. But, like, the point is we got to help the kid. We got to help people. We got to help future leaders develop as people. And, you know, I, you probably, everybody in this room probably knows the whole stat of, like, if they can do it 60% as well as you can, you should give it to them. I don't know if it's 60, 80%, whatever. Pick a number, right? But the whole point is you're, and then the other thing too, right, is it takes time to develop them. Like there's a ramp to getting them up to that 60, 80, 90, whatever percent. Maybe they go past your 100. But the point is it also takes time, meaning it's, it's work to do it, but great leaders empower others to lead, knowing that there's long-term benefits and long-term fruit. How are you at empowering others to lead? Or do you have to be the guy? You have to be the gal. Um, real quick pastoral note on this one. Some of you do this exceptionally well. You are empowering, empowering others to lead. So much so that probably when your teams go to celebrate the successes that have happened, the people you've empowered get the credit for it. The success, like everybody, the adulation. Meanwhile, you're in the background being like, oh, I kind of did everything to help them do that. Hopefully not bitterly. But my point is, one, for those of you who are doing that, God sees it, honors it, and will honor it. And then number two, you actually have a joy in your future, God willing, of getting to see something that a lot of other people don't get to see in this life, and that is people over time, over decades, develop as people in, respons in responsibility and, and casting, all the rest of it, and you get to have the joy of being like, man, I got to be a part of that. And so I would just say... We're called to, great leaders empower others to lead and are looking for ways to do that. Number four, great leaders increasingly move into unique giftings and generative space. They move increasingly into unique giftings and generative space. Uh, note that Jethro doesn't here just tell Moses to delegate the work, but also adds so that Moses, you can lean into your unique giftings. In verse 19, he says this, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and the, how they are to behave. 
Jethro is not just saying, Moses, delegate so that you can go off to a beach and drink some martinis. You know what I'm saying? He's saying, delegate so that you can lean into the unique role that you have as this leader in this particular occasion for this group of people. And the advice that Jethro is giving Moses is absolutely brilliant. It's so wise. Just think about the logic here. Jethro is saying to Moses, one, be the, uh, focus on being the people's representative with God. Moses, focus on prayer. Think about the logic of this. Moses, if you truly believe that God answers prayers that you pray, say, for your people, you know all these court cases that you're dealing with? You're kind of going to help them a little bit better if you pray that God would help them with their issues. Okay, so that's one thing he said. And then he said, Moses, make sure that you're teaching the people. Same logic. If you're teaching, if you're leaning in, spending your time teaching God's people, instead of just hearing the cases, you can give them the instructions for how to live the life that will help them not have as many issues that they're bringing to you. Okay. And then Moses, make sure that you are finding and training and equipping capable leaders. And, you know, I would just say great leaders know that they constantly have to be doing this because if you're doing this, let alone doing this well, those leaders that you eventually train up are going to wait for it. Lead. So you gotta, you got to work on the next pipeline, and you got to kind of constantly. But it's a wonderful thing, and it's tremendously fruitful. In all these ways, Moses is saying, uh, lean into, uh, excuse me, Jethro is saying to Moses, lean into your unique giftings and this generous space. Uh, it's, it's worth noting that uh, Moses was in a very unique season in his life that Jethro was speaking into. Uh, what do I mean by that? Moses, by this, by this point, had, had many years of leadership experience under his belt. Okay? Moses was not a young dude here. Uh, a lot of leadership experience. And so, therefore, Jethro was speaking to somebody who had been at it for a while, saying, hey, you need to especially lean into your unique abilities. Why am I saying all this? At current, we have a lot of young leaders. Okay? So I just want to give some perspective here. We don't all yet know what our unique abilities are. Is this, is this making sense? And I would say if you're a quote-unquote young leader and you feel like, David, I definitively know what my unique ability is, I would just say you probably want to hold that loosely because the fact of the matter is it just takes time to figure out what these things are. And maybe you do have an understanding, but you still need, you still need a lot of life to refine it. Is, is this making sense? Um, two of my favorite authors... Uh, both talked about this separately. I don't even know if they, they know each other, but I've heard both of them talk about this separately from each other. How uh, they've always been incredibly gifted uh, writers. They're both now New York Times bestselling authors, okay? One of them in particular, when, when he's writing a book, I just can't wait to like read the next one. Like, they're just really, really gifted writers. But both of them said separately from each other, it is so good that we weren't writing when we were younger, <laughs> It was so good. He said, they, they both said they got advice that they shouldn't just start writing when they were younger because, one, they just you know, had young families, didn't have a lot of time for it. Two, their ministries were just getting going, so they had to spend time on that. But then three, and perhaps most importantly, they didn't have a clue what they didn't know yet, is how they put it. And what's scary, they said, is, man, we had the skill to really write well to convince people that they should do what we think they should do, and that was not the right thing at the time. Are you, are you tracking? But now that they're older and more mature and they've, they've been refined through the ups and downs of life, now they're writing with like wisdom of like, man, you can't write books fast enough for, for me to read. Is this making sense? But there's this season of life that Jethro is uniquely speaking into for Moses. And I would say if you're on the younger side, 
Be thoughtful about it. Take stock along the way. How might you be uniquely gifted? And think of it kind of as like a, uh, remember those Polaroid pictures? Like it's fuzzy right now, but it'll come into shape, hopefully. And then I want to say to those of you who are what the Bible would call, here's Proverbs 16:31. gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. Uh, for those of you, I would just say, speaking on behalf of younger generations, which I don't know if I have that right to do anymore, but we need you. We, we need you. Whether you are on the, the well-established uh, side of things like Moses or you are already a jet throw, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your life experience. Uh, younger Christians, younger leaders, the church, we need you. How can you, like Jethro, graciously, patiently, yet also with, with a measure of boldness, speak into things and, and try to help the Lord from your unique standpoint? Uh, we need you. So great leaders are teachable. Great leaders are mindful of their limits and get ahead of burnout. Great leaders empower others to lead. Great leaders increasingly move into unique giftings and generative space. Okay, last principle which I think really is the main point of of the text, at least it seems to me, is great leaders understand the mission is greater than them leading. Like, the mission is what matters, not whether or not you and I are are leading. Because all throughout Jethro's advice, he's saying to Moses, hey, you need to delegate, hey, you need to do this in a sustainable way, he's saying all that, but all throughout there's this undercurrent of, hey, and you need to just trust God in the midst of all of this. He says in verse 1, it's, it's God who's done everything, verse 8. It's the Lord who's done it all, verse 19. God, God may, be the one, uh, may God be the one who's with you, Moses. Verse 23, if you do this, Moses, as God commands, as God wills is the idea, you will be able to stand the strain. All these people will go home satisfied. Jethro, time and time again, is saying to Moses, follower of God, hey, remember to trust as you lead the leader, God, who ultimately doesn't need you or me to lead. But he just gives us graciously the opportunities to lead and and impact the lives of other people. Great leaders will trust him as the leader. And you know what, Christian friends, I would just say that this takes the pressure off. Wouldn't you say? Because at the end of the day, if we understand that really it's God who's going to lead, we can trust him with the rest that we need, we can trust him with the people that we maybe are a little bit anxious about. We can, we can trust him knowing that he's going he's gonna to do it all uh, through us. It's, it's, it's on him. And so we lean into him. It also means we can take our eyes off ourselves. Which I'll tell you what, if you're feeling weary or any, like some of that might be, did you have your eyes a little bit too much on yourself? Great leaders will trust him as, as the leader. They understand the mission is greater than them leading. And of course, the master of all this was, was Jesus himself. Was Jesus teachable? Well, another way of thinking of that thought is, was, was Jesus humble? Oh, Jesus was the epitome of humility. Just following the Lord, the, the Father's guidance in it all. Was Jesus mindful of his limits and his, his not burning out? Absolutely. Jesus, the Son of God, was also the Son of Man. And there were plenty of times throughout the Scripture accounts where he goes, you know, I'm t- we got to get away. Let's get on a boat. That sounds good to me, by the way. Get on a boat. Go to the other side of the lake. He'd take his disciples. He'd take his students. We got to get out. And sometimes he'd be interrupted while he's trying to get away. And he'd be like, all right, let's figure this out. Let's, let's serve the people. But then right after it, let's get away. 
He was mindful of his limits. He was, he was trying to get ahead of burnout, not just for himself, but for others. Which, did he empower others to lead? I mean, that's one of the most incredible things about Jesus. We are here today because he empowered a group of essentially fishermen to carry on his work, to lead and find other leaders. It's, it's pretty incredible. And then did Jesus move into areas of unique gifting? That's the gospel. I mean, Jesus came into this world to live the life you and I ought to live but don't and die the death that we deserve. And he was teaching, he was empowering, he was doing all these things we're talking about, but ultimately what was he doing? He was going to do the very thing you and I and no one else could do, and that is die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. My hour has come, his hour, Jesus alone, and he went to the cross. By the way, doing that, following the Father's will. And because he did that, you and I can have eternal life. And I would just say, if you're here today and you're checking out the things of Jesus, checking out Christianity, my hope is that you don't remember any of this leadership stuff in comparison to what we just said, and that is the gospel, the literally good news that God loves you so much he sent his son into this world to die for you. He, in his leadership, gave his life so that you and I can have life, and we receive that by putting our faith in Jesus, just receiving it. And you could do that today. Here are the five principles, very practical for taking good leadership into, into great leaders. Great leaders are teachable. Great leaders are mindful of their limits and get ahead of burnout. Great leaders empower others. Great leaders increasingly move into giftings, into their unique giftings and generous space. And great leaders understand that the mission is more important than them leading. I just Remember I said earlier that, you, you know, for some, maybe, maybe we're thinking, I don't know where I'm a leader. I don't know. And I said, yeah, you are a leader. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a leader wherever you go in the sense that people are watching you and they are drawing conclusions about Jesus and his faith and his church through the way you live your life, through the way you speak and perhaps maybe even articulate the gospel. What more precious way to lead in this life? And God is constantly doing that through you. Some, often when you and I don't even realize, he's doing it. But that's our, that's our greatest calling because that's, that's eternal. But in which of these three way, uh, five ways are you teachable, mindful of your limits, need to get out ahead of burnout? Are you empowering others? Are you increasingly moving to unique giftings and generous space? Are you, are you understanding that the mission's more important? Which of these areas do you feel like the Lord can help you take a step forward in this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you not only teach us how to lead, but through your, through your leading, you came into this world to give your life that we could have life. You gave, you gave us the purest picture of leadership, and that is laying down our life. It's serving. First of all, we just... There's not many words to really express our gratitude for that. We, just, we don't deserve it. So we say thank you. But then, Father, would you also help us with the power of your spirit in us lead in the sense of pointing people to Jesus spiritually, but then also in our, in our teams and in the community, maybe even here in the, in the context of the church. Would you help us lead well for, the, for our own sake, health, healthy rhythms, and for the sake of others, Letting the ministry multiply, our efforts multiply, but also equipping and empowering others to lead. And would you help us uh, see your goodness in it all? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.